0: $24,000 exactly is what it's going to cost you if you want to buy a Bitcoin. And yesterday, we touched this 200-week moving average, which, as I said to you guys, was the the big support, the big opponent that Bitcoin has to face because it's been under this for 35 weeks. It's been under the 200-week moving average for 35 weeks. And yesterday, we tested it for the first time. I didn't expect Bitcoin to go right through it on the first time, but I do expect it to go right through it maybe even sometime over this weekend. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. It's Friday, we're having a big banter here. I've got some great guests for you. We're gonna talk about whether this pump is a bull trap or whether we're in the beginning of the beginning of a bull market. We're gonna talk about altcoins. We're gonna talk about um, inflation and whether inflation's coming back. We're gonna talk about Do Kwan and the SEC. And then we're gonna talk about the SEC and the way that they're regulating. So it's gonna be a big, 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 big fun show. Let's do this, guys. Fuck out of bed, bitch. Go get up, get up. Get I, I got to go wake up, gotta wake up, bitch. Get up, get up, get up. Get up. Get up. Wakey, Rise and Shine, I do see in the comments that people are saying, drop this intro, get a new intro, please. Just do another poll, and if the poll says, get a new intro, we've, we've got a new intro ready to rock and roll. Okay, the new intro would look something like this. It would look, not exactly this, but it's something the pump, like always guys, respect the pump. Uh, I respect the pump in all assets. Why? Because it's kind of like karma, you know, the power of the pump. You tell us which, which intro you guys want, whether you want to get the fuck out of bed, bitch girl, whether you want to respect the pump. Anyway, if you do respect the Pump, let us know that you're here and in class and present. So when I call your name, just say present. Uh, Muhammad Fala if you're here, present. Sunrise I know you're here, I'm not, not even going to ask. Uh, Paul Rush, I know you're here, you are here. Gabby, the DJ, if you're here, say present. De- Daniel if you're here say, present. Aaron, if you're here say, present. JJ if you're here say, present. Joao if you're here say, present, present, present. I want to know if you're here, I want to know if you're here and I want to know if you respect the Pump. That's what I want to know. All right welcome 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 back guys and for those of you who are new to our channel subscribe to our channel we've got we're growing what is what the number six hundred and ninety four thousand what five hundred how many how many how many subscribers do we have 604,000. So join 604,000 people. We are one of the fastest growing channels. Actually, some of our guests are from another very fast growing channel, which is why we brought them here today because we just think that they are fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. It's going to be a big show. It's a Friday banter today. And you know how much I love Friday banters because they're just full of alpha and we've got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to talk about Bitcoin and whether this pump is real. We're going to talk about Do Kwan and whether our perception of Do Kwan has changed now that the SEC is coming after him. and There were some big allegations in the, the, the docket. I want to talk about NFTs on Bitcoin because someone bought an NFT of a wet fart for $280,000 today. No jokes. There was a, a Bitcoin NFT which was bought for $280,000 today. Um, it was an NFT of a wet fart. So I think we need to talk about NFTs on Bitcoin. I want to talk about ETH and the Shanghai upgrade. I want to talk about Solana. I want to talk about Gains Network, which was listed on, on on, um, Binance today. I want to talk about the week that we've had on altcoins. I mean, this is the week. We've had Render up 41%. Uh, it is at 197, so just under $2.00. Um, our we've had a pump, it's the Asian pump. Remember, I told you about the Chinese pump. R we've had a pump because Filecoin had a pump, and so now the Asians have brought in this, this whole narrative of these uh, of these um, file storage coins, which we kind of said was going to happen. You got Lido up 23.1% this week, you got Rocket Pool in the same narrative up. So, we're going to talk about the liquid staking protocols. There's a lot to talk about, but before we do, let's just thank our sponsors. So, you know that the Friday banter Friday banters are brought to you by none other than the best. VPN in the world. Uh, That's NordVPN. They are the crypto VPN. And listen, as I said to you guys before, if after all you've heard about Gary Gensler and staking and how he's keeping the US out of staking and and how he's targeting the centralized stakers, but also the decentralized stakers, if you're still operating in crypto without a VPN, if you're not masking your IP address, if you're not, not using a VPN today, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be watching this because you're going to lose all your money anyway. So what you need to do is sign up for NordVPN, uh, protect your IP address, surf completely anonymously. And if you sign up today, you get a gift, but you also protect your crypto for $3.35 a month. Okay, it's like, you got to do it if you're in crypto. So, and they also bring you these Friday, these Friday banters. So support v- uh, NordVPN and let them protect you and let them support us as a channel. All right, so we've got a Friday banter here. I've got three big guests. First of all, we've got Joey, who's a regular on our show. Joey, welcome back, my friend. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. And then we've got two new guests um, who are now part of the Banter Fam. This is their their official welcome to the Banter Fam. They do run the Bankless podcast and the Bankless shows. And for those of you who don't know what Bankless is, it is a channel which has amazing, amazing, amazing content. I really go to them for real deep dive content. No, no hype, no fuss, no nothing. Just the facts, and they really dive deep into the facts. So we've got... Ryan and David uh, from Bankless joining us for the first time. Guys, welcome. Hey, what's up, guys? What's up? How's it going? So I, d- I don't know if I did the best job pushing Bankless. So there is a, a link to Bankless below, but maybe you guys should just give us a little bit of background as to who Bankless is. As I said, I love the content, like especially the last couple of weeks. I've been addicted to your content. I listened to a podcast that you guys did with uh, Anatoly around Solana, which I think was an unbelievable, unbelievable interview. Uh, I did listen to a, an interview with Chris Boniski I listened to this one as well. I also listened to one this week around uh, Bitcoin NFTs, around the Ordinals Bitcoin NFTs, which was very, very good. So maybe just a little bit of background for our community so that they get to meet the Bankless community if they're not already members. A um, little bit about what you guys do. Ryan, want to go for it? No, you do it.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: we right <laughs> I it, met, met on Twitter, uh, made the uh, Bankless podcast, uh, and, and then eventually made the, made the company later that same year in 2020. And we just thought that there was a missing supply of educational content about what really is at the very base of this whole entire industry. Uh, And so we call ourselves a thesis driven media company. We are definitely not journalists. Uh, We don't pretend to be biased, uh, unbiased. Uh, We have ideas and aspirations about what we want this crypto industry to become. Uh, And we are doing that through education. Uh, And so uh, I I think we're pretty adaptable. So we talk to people like uh, Vitalik and Justin Drake about deep protocol level stuff. Uh, We'll talk NFTs with some of the culture people. We'll talk about layer twos. Um, And it's all in in the same vein of just like making sure that the best of this industry comes to eventually be expressed in the world around it. David, that sounds like an ETH Maxi take. Are you an ETH Maxi?
0: I was about to (laughs) ask.
2: Why do <laughs> people, people tell me I'm an ETH Maxi? Although I will throw a flag at that.
0: You're not. Why is there a perception that you guys are ETH Maxis? Where, where does that perception come from?
2: Well, I think it's because we believe it's our position that Ethereum and the way that Ethereum is being built is most resonant with some of the most core values that you find in the crypto space. Uh, and so it's we just think that the the ethos of uh, censorship resistance, of not having to trust anyone, of being a fully democratized and permissionless asset and, and network is just so in re- it resonates with what crypto is to its core and it's trying to bring out the best of what crypto can be and i see all most all other chains as more adjacent to to that fact yeah i mean i i think this is the,
3: the the whole reason we started bankless is to help people go bankless right and um ethereum more than any other chain has helped people on that journey i think there are, there are some chains that um look a bit more like banks themselves like fintech where you, th- you imagine like the validators the 50 or 100 validators that control the network and are banks look at bnb chain what is that mm-hmm. it's it's sort of binance controls. That's,
2: that's cz's chain yeah yeah
3: this is not bankless to us so we're really excited about bankless technology bitcoin is fantastic by the way too we've always said that but it doesn't enable programmability you can't have DeFi defined bitcoin although You've probably seen us talking a lot about ordinals, ordinals recently, yeah. which is we've gotten really excited cool. about Bitcoin because we of are legitimately ordinals. excited.
0: Maybe, maybe that's a good place to start. We're all here. Let's. I mean, we do want to get into the market and we do want to go into all these things, but let's talk about ordinals. There's a big discussion around whether ordinals is good or bad for Bitcoin. For people who don't know what ordinals is, it is effectively labeling each Satoshi as an as a unique Satoshi, which is effectively, if you were to to narrow it down, it makes NFTs on on Bitcoin, right? And there's a big discussion as to whether these, the, this NFT movement on Bitcoin is good or bad for the Bitcoin network. You know, the maxis are saying, they don't want NFTs on the network. Um, it's the financial network. And then you know, everyone else is saying, well, look, you know, if there's a use case, there's a use case. And if people are using it, well, then, you know, and they're willing to pay the fees. Well, maybe that's a good model for Bitcoin, right? What it's, do you guys think? Well,
3: it's undeniably good for Bitcoin. I, I don't even understand the take that this is bad for Bitcoin. It, it, it comes from a place of not understanding the Bitcoin network, I think, when people say that this is bad for, for Bitcoin. The most bullish thing for any chain, whether it's Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana, Cardano, whatever it is, is block space sales. If you can sell block space, if there's block space demand and you're actually selling it on the market, that is bullish. For the chain. And so, what Bitcoin has done with the ordinals is uh, they've increased the surface area for sales. You can see block space transaction revenue on Bitcoin like 2x up, 3x up, 5x up, like it's going up. That is bullish. Why? Because what is the product that a blockchain sells? Blocks. We say this so often on, on bank lists, but we have to repeat it because I think people get lost in uh, not understanding what the core value of a of, of blockchain is. Apple so- sells iPhones. Blockchain sell blocks, so this is a new source of demand for for block space for Bitcoin. It's super bullish.
0: Okay, Joey, what do you
3: think?
1: I, I think it's certainly positive for for Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I think the idea that like you know certain use cases are allowed and others aren't is is kind of anti the whole point of the thing in the first place. Um, like it seems like a bizarre argument for someone to take that like oh Bitcoin wasn't meant for this. Um, you know, it's an open network. It's, it's kind of meant for whatever any end user wants to use it for. Um, so I think it's generally a positive. I mean, I haven't, I haven't followed Ordinals super closely myself or anything, but I think anytime someone's actually using this stuff, um, you know, especially something like Bitcoin, which hasn't really seen a whole lot of real world usage in a long time, um, I think it's exciting.
0: Why, what are the maximalists saying? What are these maxis saying about why they don't like it? I mean, maybe we should try and put ourselves into the mind space of, of these maxis. What is it about these ordinals that they don't like?
2: Yeah, I think the, the philosophy here is that some of the maximalist fundamentalist camp uh, just believe that Bitcoin is supposed to be one thing and one thing only, which is sound money for the for the globe, sound money for the internet. All other use cases of Bitcoin are illegitimate from that perspective. And so Bitcoin is just meant to transfer Bitcoins from Alice to Bob. Uh, anything else is adjacent and spam and just like not what Bitcoin is was meant to be. Unholy. Unholy, yeah. <laughs> but like to, to what Bitcoin was meant for that purpose is who is to say. And so one of the, the cultural things that I'm seeing out of the ordinals effect is that a lot of the Bitcoin fundamentalists, Bitcoin maximalists had all of the, were, they were the king of the hill because they had uh, all of the foundation to stand on. It's like, because you could only do Bitcoin transfers. Now that there's ordinals, some of the other people in the Bitcoin community have something to grapple onto, to to latch onto and say, no, look, we'll, look what else we can do that's beyond just transferring Bitcoins. And it's fun and we enjoy it. And so now a lot of the, people that were pushed out by the very, very loud maximalist camp have something to latch onto and say like, oh no, this is a different but novel and useful thing about Bitcoin.
0: What about, I mean, on the days when, on the, on the weeks and days when we're in a bull market and the Bitcoin blocks get very full because there's lots of transactions, what about the critics that say, well, you know, we're going to have this network, which is supposed to be a sound money network, spammed with these NFT transactions instead of the actual transactions that we need to do. Business,
2: I think to s- call it spam is a subjective interpretation.
3: Yeah, this okay. is value transfer. I mean, NFTs are valuable. Didn't you just say in the intro that there was some NFT that was like sold for two hundred thousand dollars? What was this?
0: 200, it's two hundred. I think it's two hundred eighty thousand dollars, if I'm not mistaken. It's a value it transfer, ordinal. right? It is. It was an ordinal NFT of a wet fight. No, no jokes, marketing <laughs> no That's what it is. It's an ordinal NFT of it of. Of a wet fart sound and it was so I mean, f- who
3: are we to say that wet fart is not valuable, right? So, it's a subjective thing.
2: This is a part of the, the philosophy. One of the Bitcoiner philosophies that we've adopted out at Bankless is that block space will ultimately become for the most high value transfers. Uh, and so if somebody is willing to purchase a wet fart and pay the gas fee that and that gas fee, that, that Bitcoin tr- uh, transaction fee is higher than a normal BTC transfer, who is to say that that, that transaction yeah, is illegitimate? Like the market decides. It's yeah. not
3: a, a religious cult that gets to decide what is holy I, and what is unholy on
0: Bitcoin. I agree. But let's quickly just go into the, the actual technology. So if I understand the technology, I'm not, I'm not a very tech, I'm not mm-hmm. a tech geek, but... The way I understand how the Ordinals NFT works is it's very a different design and different structure from the the, the Ethereum NFTs, which is a, a different token standard. Mm-hmm. This is, if I understand correctly, you're almost looking at a Satoshi through a different lens, right? It's like a Correct. almost like a lens on top of in front of the Bitcoin network, and you have to look at it through the Ordinals lens to keep following the same Satoshi, right? Is that is that do I understand it correctly? that's exactly right yeah so you make the
2: smallest denomination of Bitcoin possible one Satoshi and then through the ordinals protocol you can ascribe data to that one Satoshi and the UTXO because Bitcoin's a UTXO model that Satoshi gets tracked because it's a separate UTXO from all the other Bitcoin UTXOs but with ordinals you have a way to append data and so it's not just JPEGs it's MP3s it's any type of file whatsoever Uh, and and the the cool thing about this is that if you are not running an ordinal I don't know if you call it a node or not, but if you're not using the ordinal software, the Bitcoin blockchain looks totally the same to you and is completely not interrupting or interfering with any other way of interpreting the Bitcoin blockchain.
0: So, I mean, can you do the same functionality as you can do with Ethereum NFTs? Because with ETH NFTs, you can program the NFTs, you can program royalties into the NFTs, you can. Can you do the same thing? on ordinals? No, it's no. just
2: sat- Satoshi transfers. Uh, so it's a Satoshi transfers plus data. There's no royalties. Uh, there's no like a, a open OpenSea. There's no exchange. So I, I believe people once upon a time were exchanging uh, Bitcoin ordinals using a Google Doc, which is ironic because previous Bitcoin or maxi uh, FUD against Ethereum was that you can do everything you can do on Ethereum inside of a Google Doc. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there is more infrastructure being built to help facilitate some of this economic activity. Uh, but it's pretty. It stays in line with the Bitcoin ethos, which is like raw simplicity. You know what the ironic thing about this is? I
3: actually think what I'm seeing here is the Bitcoin network kind of like following Ethereum's path that it already did. So, so this is the first realization: oh, we can sell block space to non-Bitcoin transfers, right? NFTs and this sort of thing. And th- then they'll start going down the path of like, oh, well, what if we uh, take a portion of this block space sale and we burn it? <laughs> so we start like decreasing right it's a sacrilege but like this starts to look like eip 1559 which probably um you know the the watchers of the video knows makes all the gas fees on ethereum a portion of those gas fees go to burning some of the total supply of ETH. right this is a very attractive like i can see bitcoin kind of moving down this path but but of course there's just very strong fundamentalist camp within bitcoin that may not let them do it uh, and it's, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm excited about this. It's, it's cool to see uh, Bitcoiners get excited about NFTs, but I'm also like, I, I've got the popcorn out, man. And I'm just like, what's going to happen uh, next? Like I'm loving it.
2: I'm just uh, happy that the non-maximalist camp have, has something to grapple onto, And like, they finally have a voice now.
0: I agree. I agree. I agree. All right, listen, so let's, let's go to the next part of the show. Cause I think we've got what we need out uh, that one. Um, I think the best way to ask this is: Do you the pump, always guys, respect the pump? Uh, I respect the pump in all assets. Why? Because it's kind of like karma. You know, the power of the pump always comes back to you if you respect the pump of other people. It's it's crazy, but I. The question is: Do you respect the pump? I mean, I think. About what I'm asking here is: We've had Bitcoin going. We've had an amazing year. We've had Bitcoin up like 50% this year. Um, no, is it 35% this year? This week could just go back to the beginning of this year, I think it was somewhere here. And we have Bitcoin now up uh, 44% this year. Do you respect the pump? Do you think that this is the beginning of the next bull market? Do you follow the theory that, you know, it's playing out very much like the 2019 fractal? Or are we talking about the biggest bull trap in history and, and uh, the El Capo camp for, le- for lack of a better, for lack of a better exp- uh, 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 definition? Joey, I, I want to hear more of you here because you yeah, guys have been here the longest and and, uh, and everything else.
1: Yeah, I mean, sure. I and mean, from my perspective, I, I think the market, um, at least my view, is it bottomed in June of of 2022. Um, if you look back in June, you know, ETH hit a low of $880. Um, it's one of those kind of market moments where like as a trader, like you you have like this emotional feeling that the sky is falling. And, and like that's usually when the market bottom forms. Um and so then, so now the question is sort of just like, are we like overbought currently relative to like where we should be is, is kind of like the question that you would ask. But I don't think there's going to be like a new lower low. That's my, that's my personal view. Um, and, you know, I think if you, if you kind of chart things, um, there's sort of this trend that the market's been trending in since November um, where currently kind of the, the upper end of that trend is like the mid 1700s for ETH and the lower end of the trend is kind of the low uh, 1300s. And my view is and that trend kind of steadily, you know, grinds up. My view is that it's just going to steadily kind of grind up over the rest of the year, uh, but bouncing between, you know, the highs and the lows of that trend. Um, and, you know, this week we kind of tested the highs of the 1700 range and, you know, over the last 24 hours or so, have come off
0: that a little bit. Okay. Pretty interesting guys. What do you think?
2: Uh, I think the, the, the two main things is that FT- both this regulatory FUD, which I think we've completely bounced back from, but then also FTX at large were inorganic cell pressure uh regulatory fud is never it never lasts i've never seen regulatory fud actually like have a meaningful long-term impact on the price and like we're we're already back to the prices the crypto prices that came before all of this sec banhammer stuff happened and then with ftx i think it's going to take a while to repair that damage but like the selling at sub thousand dollar eth and sub two thousand twenty thousand dollar bitcoin i think was a short-term fear i i'm I'm I mean I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly what happens with the markets but I think the worst is over.
3: I look I I largely don't want to be the bear in this episode cuz like I I agree with you guys like there's some good signals. The SEC uh is like cracking down on crypto and crypto's like not blinking is is actually pretty impressive and that's certainly not what you'd expect in a deep bear market and I do think there's elements of like oh this looks a lot like 2019 or like, you know, back in like 2016 or something like this. And we see this repeating fractal over and over again in crypto in every cycle. That said, there's a, there's part of me that's just like, but guys, have we really felt the pain of the bear yet? Like it just, this one hasn't seemed as painful.
0: I don't know where you were in May last year and in- it, look, Ryan, Ryan forgot Lo- to set his three
3: digit ether buys. <laughs> Luna Luna went to, um yeah, okay, that's what you think David. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Luna went to like zero. I mean, yeah, of course. like weren't people kind of expecting this is an algorithmic like coin. I know people who are Luna in went, Luna
0: lost. Luna went to zero and wiped out an eighty billion dollars ecosystem, which I've been in crypto since 2014, 15, and i've never I'd never seen that happen. From that point, you had three RS capital implode, and with it taking down a lot of the retailer basis funds which were locked up in either Blockfire, Voyager. Or, or one of the other lenders. Then you had um, uh, Genesis going down, freezing all the earned money. Then you had FTX wrecking 10 million retail consumers. I think that, that both from a time point of view, 433 odd days of a bear market, and from an event point of view, and I say event point of view, that you need two things to shake out weekends. You need time and declining prices. You need three things, declining prices, Time and then black swans. And I think we've had like all three of those.
3: Yeah, I and- get it. If he, it's like, but here's the thing: is what was the um, down from all time high for Bitcoin ETH? It was like seventy five percent or something like this? Seventy five percent, maybe maybe seventy six percent. That is not nearly as painful as previous bear markets. What did like last cycle bear market from all time high Bitcoin dropped like eighty three percent, eighty five percent? Ether did 95%. I understand for like for some of these uh, alternative layer one communities, like they're, they're down like 97 plus first, first
2: cycle chains always go down way worse.
3: Yeah. But what's interesting is we just, we haven't felt the pain in the blue chips, yeah. you know, that, that, that's all. It's just in the back of my mind of like, well, has this been long enough? Have we felt enough pain?
0: Joey, what do you think about the pain theory?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it it depends on what assets you own. Um, I think there's certainly been a ton of pain. Like like for instance, if you held on to you know a bunch of like you know DeFi blue chips over the last two years, like versus ETH, you felt a ton of pain on that on that trade. Um, and you know I think that's one of those things where I think like at some point into the next cycle there'll be a great trade to like revert into that and buy a bunch of DeFi stuff, right? Like I don't know if that's today yet, but I do think that's going to come at some point. Um, I also just think this this market cycle kind of maybe moved a bit faster than the last one, both on the upside and also on the downside. Um, not like a lot faster, but maybe like, you know, 30-ish percent, you know, more sped up than previous cycles. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, rates went from zero to well above 4% in the span of a year. Um, and And so I think like, it was, it was certainly painful for a lot of people. Um, and, and I think, you know, like if you remember kind of Bitcoin in 2011, um, there's one point when, you know, the price went from $20 to like two cents, cause Mt. Gox got hacked the first time. Right. It's so like every cycle is, is generally, you know, the, the, the sailing gets a little bit smoother, but if you were like an average person who came in, whether you're institutional or retail and, you know, bought ETH and then, you know, it went down 70% or whatever this cycle from trough, peak to trough, like that still feels pretty painful even if for, you know, some of us on this call, uh, we remember the days when ETH is down, you know, from 1200 to $80, um, which was definitely a, an experience for sure.
0: I want to, I want to, I want to give you, I want to throw something out there. So one is that I think we're just because we've just become immune to big price swings because we've been here for a while. And I think for, like you say, the normal investor, the normal institution for them to see swings, like we saw last year, um, I think i think we've just become immune so we're like we've seen worse second of all i think um it was what david said that first generation or first round layer ones usually experience much bigger drawdowns and as assets become more adopted and more mature you can kind of expect their drawdowns to maybe be slightly less so i think you know if they used to go down 90 percent in the original in the first bear market cycles then to have them going down 75 and maybe 80 percent in the second market bear cycles, um, is is actually like quite fathomable for me. Like to almost say, I think we had we had suffered enough. Um, I also think that if you take all the news that we've had and like there's you know all the bad news that we've had, I think what we've had is we've had a token transfer from weak hands to strong hands, and I call the strong hands the retard degens who are not selling at any price and with any news. I mean, we're all a bunch of retard And You can see it now because the SEC is attacking crypto left, right, and center. And what is, I think, an unprecedented attack. I don't think we've ever had an attack that's been this this brutal. And people just aren't selling. We had the SEC attack Kraken, staking, Binance, or uh, not directly Binance, but BUSD through Paxos, Bitcoin doesn't care. Yeah, And the reason is because the people that are holding the tokens now are retired DGENs and are not selling for any price. If this happened in October, November last year, if the SEC came out attacking us in October, November last year, we would have been down 20%. And I don't think we would have recovered. And so I think it's just a, a, a transfer of, of from weak hands to strong hands, which is actually what bear markets are about. And the bull markets usually start because... The tokens in 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 the hands of 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 retard degens.
3: I well I I look I do think there's elements of that I certainly agree with. And w- one thing that I think we'd probably all say is that um, crypto feels way healthier now than it did a year ago at this time, right? People getting tattoos of like chains that were destined to go to zero on their uh, their arms. You know that wasn't the healthiest place I've ever seen this industry. It feels much more healthy. That said, I don't know if we should expect, again, if the model is like, this is like 2019, I don't know if we should expect an immediate recovery, like to all-time highs and blowing past all-time highs. And in fact, I think something you just said is right, which is this is the biggest uh, crackdown that we've ever, certainly it's the biggest crackdown in the US I've ever seen, where it's, it's more than just the SEC and Gensler. Um, I mean, the industry's kind of like, we're calling this Operation Choke Point, where um, The entire executive branch under President Biden is going after crypto in a coordinated, concerted way. You know, like one of the one of the other choke points is uh, squeezing out banks, for instance, and getting that making it increasingly difficult for them to actually work with exchanges. And so, if you are a crypto startup in the U.S., where do you get a bank account? No one will service you. Uh, It's very difficult. And so, I don't. I think that there are ways that this regulatory stuff, I, you know, I, I agree with elements of what David said, where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of regulatory FUD, but maybe we haven't felt the full effect of it. I mean, we just, last week, uh, Gensler came after a BUSD, or, or P, uh, the Paxos BUSD uh, stablecoin, basically. And then we saw out of this, this didn't get reported very widely, that PayPal, which was looking to integrate a stablecoin into their Venmo product, uh, they backed away from that. They're like, well. oh. oh it's getting too hot in here. Like We need to um, step back from that. And, and that was adoption that we were very excited about back in 2022. Oh, look, a major fintech company with 30,000 know, vendor accounts around the world is integrating crypto. Well, now because of US regulatory action, they've stepped back from that. That's going to hurt adoption. It could take some time to recover from that
2: yeah but this is all like innovation so this is actually going to be one of the few times that i disagree with my co-host here that's like, why it, we we have to disagree on someone <laughs> else's channel we don't do that on our channel right david yeah no we're homogenous on our channel uh so like I, I, all of that stuff is real things to be concerned about i'm not discounting that but like when it, when it comes to prices of assets what you're talking about ryan is like innovation and adoption at in areas that we have not already gotten adoption from But people aren't being restricted from buying assets. And so the flows from, you know, U.S. dollar and TradFi into crypto is still unrestricted. Like you can still transfer money to Coinbase and buy Bitcoin and Ether and do whatever. And so like while this is a tampering effect on the speed of innovation, uh, it's still we're still able to buy crypto. And so like buying stuff is still on the menu. It's a, but on, you can buy I want, stuff, but I want you is different. Stuff.
0: Yeah, I want to just push back and say exactly that. So the first thing is you actually are getting a bit more restricted because if they take away your stable coins, which is what they started doing with BUSD, if you start thinking that stable coins aren't safe, that's a, a big reason not to put money into crypto if, if your stable coins may get taken away. Um, another thing is that if you are restricted from staking in the United States, if you all of a sudden y- you can buy Ethereum, but you can't stake it, Or you can buy Solana, but you can't stake it. Then the the uh, incentive to buy the 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 tokens becomes slightly reduced. So I I think it's not direct. And also, we know that the banks are severing relationships with crypto exchanges. In fact, just now while we have been live, um, this came out. um, It says Binance Holdings explores severing business ties in the U.S., and that's according to Bloomberg. This is happening like now as we speak. What happened from the day that Biden stood up and said he wanted an executive order to regulate crypto and to keep the U.S. at the forefront of this innovation? What happened between then and where we are today, where the SEC is coming out with pretty much an announcement today? In the last weeks, week, two weeks, Kraken attack on on staking uh, by BUSD last night there was the Doquan arrest warrant. And if you look at the, um, not the arrest warrant, the, the, the charges by the SEC. And if you look at the charges by the SEC and you read them very carefully, they point to the fact that many other stable coins may actually be securities. Like if you read that SEC document and they say that the reason, one of the reasons why, why uh, UST was a security is because it was redeemable for Luna and the other way around. And they're saying by virtue of that, it is a security. And if you look at that and you compare that to MakerDAO or to, to Maker, then it's not very different. It's not very different. So it feels like somewhere something happened, and maybe it was FTX, but what happened between the day that Joe Biden stood up and said, keep America at the forefront of innovation here, and today where Gary Gensler is pretty much shutting down the US when it comes to crypto?
3: I'd be really interested in Joey's take here too,
1: but like, you know, maybe you start Joey, I, you know, I've got some takes on this. Sure. I mean, I mean, I think one one thing that I remember from from the last cycle is that there's this period sort of in the second half closer to the final third of a bear market where there's a huge flurry of regulatory actions and everyone's like, Oh man, like, like the space feels screwed. Like, the government just hates it and, and and it's kind of like you know this this kind of like exaggerated um perspective from both sides both both i think from like the regulators but also from the people you know reading these actions and then usually what happens is you know unless you did something very illegal where it's like doj swoops in like fgx style right ignoring that all these other cases they tend to be things where the legal system in the us takes a really long time to play out like the Ripple case, I remember last cycle, like the Ripple case is still playing out. There's still no actual answer there. <laughs> um, and everyone's like, oh, this means that tokens are dead and there's never going to be, you know, new token launches again. And I remember people saying that, and I remember just continuing to invest in new token deals because I was like, it, it just seems wrong. Um, and and I think like we're sort of at a similar moment. The one big difference this time is that, you know, the, a lot of the crackdown seems to come directly from the president of the United States, um, although last cycle, you know, like w- when Trump was president, he also wasn't particularly pro-crypto either. He didn't really go around like, you know, announcing it publicly. Um, like he didn't have like a public, you know, like action plan or whatever, uh, that like Biden proposed also, cause that wasn't really Trump's style. It's not like he really had super thought through action plans for things per se. Um, but you know, if you, if you look at what actually happened, not, not a whole lot happened last cycle. Um, I think a lot of these things, you know, 75 to 80% of these regulatory things are going to blow over and there will be 20 to 25% that actually something serious happens. Like the Paxos thing, you know, who knows if the Paxos, you know, stablecoin is still around, um, a year from now. I have no clue. Um, I'd be very surprised though, if they succeeded in say shutting down like USDC, for example.
0: So but- you think that this is not an attack on stable coins, but more an attack on either BUSD or Paxos or the way that Paxos created BUSD. You're not worried that that's the first one. And, you know, there were a whole lot of rumors and they were obviously just rumors, but that, you know, USDC is next. And then who knows, who knows what happens after that? I
1: mean, I think, I think you have to worry about that stuff. Like both, both as if you're, if you're Coinbase or Circle, and also if you're an investor, right? Like, like it's important to worry about things and, and think them through and, and do stuff to mitigate the worry, right? Like, if you're Coinbase, I want to be super dialed in to make sure that I'm not doing any of the stuff that, you know, that Paxos or or Binance were doing. Um, But I think there's a point at which, like, you know, you kind of do what you can to mitigate a risk. And then you weight that into your investment decision. And then you make a trade accordingly, or you make a business decision accordingly. And then you kind of have to move on, right? Like, like, I think a lot of people in this space, they kind of obsess about what the government's going to do next. And it's just like, it's it's not helpful. It's it's like obsessing. Like if you made a mistake and obsessing over over and over again, um, you're not really going to figure anything out. You know, that, that's kind of my view there.
0: Let's look at let's look at things like um, the banning, not the banning because they didn't ban staking, but they deemed Kraken's staking offering as a offer of uh, of securities and un- unregistered securities. We also know that there was actually no ways for Kraken to register their securities offering. Just uh, Hester Purse admitted it in her her public dissent, that there was just no way for them, despite what Gary Gensler said on, on CNBC and all the other TV channels, there actually was no way to to register. And I saw the tweets from um, Jesse, where he said, oh, well, I think, let me try and find it for you. Because uh, I think he he actually did quite a good job. He, he said it.
3: something like, um, if all I had to do was fill out a form, then we would have done that, right?
0: Yeah, he said, Oh man, all I had to do was fill out a form on a website and tell people that staking rewards c- come from staking. Wish I'd seen this before, paying a $30 million <laughs> fine <laughs> and permanently shut down the service in the US. Josh Hadamda, damn. look, I mean, God, Jesse's so awesome. <laughs> look, I mean, is this an attack on Kraken? Is this an attack yeah, on staking? I, I mean, he, what is this?
3: You asked the question earlier, which is like, oh, Biden said, hey, we support innovation. And then, like, what's changed now? This is why I um, we're still living in the the hangover of like 2022 um, scammers, right? Okay, so like we've got like Alex Mashinsky, we've got uh, Do Kwon, we've got SBF. Let's realize that the U.S. government, like all other governments around the world, has been somewhat divided internally of what should we do with crypto. There's those in the camp that are like, let's ban it, and I want more control. And there's others in the camp that this is innovation. This is, um, you know, a liberty for for our citizens. This is going to help our country, right? And the, these sides have been fighting against one one another. Well, in twenty twenty two, we just gave the side who wants to come crush and control crypto much more power. Okay, so even this thing with Do Kwon yesterday that we saw. Gary Gensler's next strategy is really to go after Doquan and UST because he knows no one in crypto will defend them. How can we possibly defend that? It went from $40 billion to zero. How can we defend it? And he's going to use that to establish precedent. You can already see it in kind of the papers that they they filed. Um, Gensler wants UST to be characterized as a security is a stable coin. He wants it to be characterized as a security. So he's going to use this case to establish precedent, to increase his power, to try to crush crypto. This camp has always been active in the U.S. government, other governments around the world. And because of 2022, we just gave them a whole lot of power to go do that. No one's going to stand their way. Is anyone pro crypto in the Biden administration going to say, you know what? I think that, crypt is, that crypto thing is full of wholesome people, right? <laughs> like, like, look at 2022. What happened? What did we do? So there's an element of like, uh, I feel like, and look, it was our worst actors, but I feel like the crypto industry shot itself in the foot in 2022. And we got like, now we're living with that hangover. I guess if you shoot yourself in the foot, we're in the hospital on like kind of like getting the the morphine drip like it's it's not a good time for us and we have to get through this period of time but i do agree with jesse with uh um joey that we'll, we will get through this
2: i really just want to emphasize like how important public sentiment is on the timing of these things When you asked like all right why is this happening now like and you mentioned like ftx it's absolutely ftx like operation choke point started one ish one month after The demise of FTX, that's when started the banking, the constriction around the banking sector really started. Two months after uh, FTX is when the SEC comes with its ban hammer. Public sentiment and what government regulatory bodies can get away with is super important. And it's largely adjacent from what is actually the rule of law and what is right. If they can get away with it, then they will. And right now, Gary has wide open room to uh take in a lot of extra increase his domain of influence and control which is what he wants to do have you seen the guy's influencer videos he really cares about what people think of him and right now with ftx and do quan like right, ryan said like in, in in to use your words ryan uh, uh ran we had the uh the retard degen steering the ship all throughout 2022 and that just gives people like Gary Gensler free reign to come in and say like, oh, well, you guys need to get reined in. Well, they, they got to look like they're busy. They got to look like they're yeah. doing something. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 and Gary needs to save face because he let all that stuff happen. He
3: he also met with FTX the entire yeah. time, apparently. <laughs> I mean, so he, there's like a whole, it's just um, yeah, it's inc- incredibly shady and, and disappointing what's happening with our regulators. But Hester Peirce is, is one of the good ones. And there mm-hmm. are still some folks like that in government.
0: Yeah, we've had a, we've spoken to many times. The problem is she seems to be a little bit powerless in the in the you know in the big scheme of things i remember she wrote the public dissent the first time around when the, when the etfs were, were denied and you know she said i can't see any reason why why they why they allow etfs on oil and gold and everyone else that's completely manipulated but they won't allow an etf on on bitcoin so i was an investor in luna uh joey i think if i remember correctly the firm you were at at the time was also an investor in luna there's some serious allegations against Doquan in, in these documents. Uh, one of the allegations is that they, I, I want to I get this right, the defendants still retain valuable proceeds from the Terraform ecosystem. Specifically, defendants transferred over 10,000 Bitcoin from Terraform and Luna Foundation to an unhosted wallet or cold wallet. Um, on a periodic basis since May 2022, Terraform and Doquan have transferred and continue to transfer Bitcoin from this wallet to a financial institution. Based in Switzerland and have converted Bitcoin to cash, uh, and, and this goes on. It says between June 2022 and date of this complaint, over 100 million in fiat currency has withdrawn has been withdrawn from that Swiss bank. Now I must say, I was under the opinion that Doquan was innocent. I was under the opinion that he tried to reinvent money and that he failed, that his idea failed. Um, maybe I was giving him the benefit of that, but when I read this, it kind of paints a completely different picture. What do you think, Joey?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think like, um, you know, reading that, like assuming it's true, it's obviously a very different picture, right? Like if you think about, um, you know, traditional markets and you think about kind of like the creation of like electric vehicles, right? Like you have some companies like Tesla that worked really well. Uh, maybe that's the equivalent of Ethereum and crypto. Um, you have some companies like Fisker that just like didn't really work, but they they kind of tried. Um and that's, that's sort of what my, my view of, of kind of what Tara was doing, um, you know, up until, you know, you kind of see these documents and and you kind of see it kind of more come out since then, it kind of looks more like Nikola Motors, right? Like there's something like actually bad um, beyond just like, I I basically what I say like people ha- should have the right to try ideas, even if the idea seems like low odds, but high EV if it does work. Um, but like, you know, this document that you just shared, right, it says that he basically like, you know, stole capital, send it to a Swiss bank account, you know, for his own purposes. Where,
3: where do you get that's that? That's true. Where do you get that that's, 10k in Bitcoin?
0: So they got that from. They took the the Luna Foundation, God, which is which was which was kind of the foundation. Uh, took three billion dollars, if I'm not mistaken, and they bought Bitcoin with three billion dollars worth of Luna in their reserves, and that was supposed to be used to defend the peg. Right. And the reason why that happened is because a year previous to that. Luna de-pegged and it was rescued by who we think was Jump Capital. It may be, com- we can, may be completely wrong. That's part of the SEC's allegations. And so they bought a whole lot of Bitcoin. And it sounds to me like this: these 10,000 Bitcoin came from the, the Bitcoin that was supposed to be used to defend the peg.
3: But isn't, okay, isn't this like the dumbest shit ever? Like so uh, okay so
2: not not if you're secretly a scammer Ryan <clears throat> then it's genius.
3: No, but see, here's the thing. It's like this entire industry was created. The reason we're all here is to kind of go bankless and so that we don't introduce trusted intermediaries. And then we we have this protocol here that everyone is so excited about with 10 10,000 Bitcoin d- deposited in kind of a multisig, a group of insiders and like we have smart contracts a bank. Right, a bank. Basically, we have smart contracts. We have things on chain. We have control systems so that we don't have to trust people. We say so often, like it's protocols, not people. That's what we're putting our trust in with crypto. And I feel like in 2022 we forgot some of that. This is why um, we were suspicious of of uh, Do Kwon and Luna from the beginning. It's we had no idea whether he was a scammer or not, or what his intent was. Had no idea. But the fact that you're introducing a trusted intermediary to like safeguard tokens to back the value of UST that should throw up red flags. And I'm really hopeful that we, as an industry and as a community, learn something from 2022, and we that's go so, back. Uh, and there's my- like they're gonna come back here, man. Mm-hmm. Like the, the scammers, the same they're people gonna, every, every gonna
2: do it again.
3: Every cycle they're gonna do it again. And so for for people who've been here for a while, we're always just like shaking our heads and been like, guys, we just we did this again. Like, when are we going to learn? We actually have ways to defend against this. Ron, I remember must- when
2: we when we did our show about Terra Luna and we were we brought up this point about like, why do you need to defend the peg with external capital? That is an unstable financial system. And we just got hounded by the Terra Luna community. The lunatics for, even, the lunatics for bringing that up. And I want to make this point that I don't think, I think a lot of people are sleeping on this point. The Where do they get the 10,000 Bitcoins? They minted and sold both UST and Luna. They sold it to Three Hours Capital, they sold it to a few other people to source this supply of Bitcoin, and they bought it at something like a $34,000 Bitcoin price. So they sold UST, they sold significant amounts of the UST stablecoin for Bitcoin. What does that do? That takes liquidity and value out of UST. It takes liquidity out of the market because they are selling UST into the market to buy Bitcoin, and then they're putting it on the Luna Foundation Guard balance sheet with a claim to that is going to be used to defend the peg. That selling of UST is what caused the peg to break in the first place. They took all the liquidity out of the market. And then all of a sudden, whoever like did the economic attack on UST to attack the peg saw the weakness in the there wasn't enough liquidity to defend the peg because they sold UST to they minted and sold UST. And so then the the markets drop. Bitcoin goes from $34,000 where they bought bit, uh, Bitcoin down to the $24,000, which is when they had to start selling the Bitcoin uh, to defend the peg. They caused their own stability in their economic system. And then meanwhile, Do Kwon is off withdrawing hundreds of millions of dollars and is off in Serbia somewhere. So like, when we look at hindsight on this, this whole thing, like, this whole thing was doomed from the get-go.
0: I must say, for me, the biggest thing that I, that I took out of that is in, 2020, in 2021, 2022, we made a whole lot of investments. I call them momentum investments. We weren't investing in fundamentals. We were investing behind momentum. And it happened to me in 2017 too, unfortunately. And after 2017, I saw I'd never do it again. And in, in 2021, I got caught up in the same hype and I made the momentum investments. And one thing that I took out of momentum investing now is I'm here because I want to invest in decentralized protocols. Now, it's okay if a protocol starts off being not decentralized. As long as there's a really tangible plan to eventually land up completely trustless and decentralized, and if not, then I don't want to be in it because every time that we've seen that, they've collapsed. You take Celsius, this hybrid between a centralized entity and a and a and a token. You see where that landed up. You, you take FTT and FTX, the hybrid between a centralized entity and a token. Well, look where that's where that's landed up. And so, to me, it's changed the way that we that certainly we're looking at investments. And speaking of that, I'm actually watching the Lido chart here. That's where where my eyes have been because Lido is at $3 and 10 cents or eight cents. And it's just broken through this massive August resistance, which it's been, it's been flirting with for a while. And it looks like it's doing very well. And the reason why I bring that up is because Gary Gensler attacked retail staking via Kraken. Now we've got this narrative that has been brewing for a long time. Um, which is the liquid staking protocols. So things like uh, Rocket Pool, things like Lido, um, et cetera. And at the same time, you've got the ETH Shanghai upgrade, which is happening sometime in the next two months. So two, two, let's say they say March, sometime March, April, but let's say in the next two months. I want to understand why the liquid staking protocols are running so fast ahead of the Shanghai upgrade. Because there's two ways that I see it. The one is that you've got all these ETH that have been staked for a long period of time, which are now going to be unstakeable. Which is gonna, which could put selling pressure on ETH. On the other hand, you got these liquid staking protocols going up, going well. You know, when this, when Shanghai happens, everybody's gonna want to stake ETH, right? Is that, is that the right thesis?
2: I, I, I certainly think so. And, and uh, it's also worth noting that today Coinbase made an announcement uh, that uh, Coinbase Ventures made an announcement that they made a, a material investment into into Rocket Pool into RPL. So like Rocket Pool's almost at dollar all time highs. Uh, which, which is, which is pretty cool. And there's like a defense here. The decentralized protocols are much more defendable and defensible, uh, against what Gary Gensler and the SEC has been coming to attack Kraken. Like there's a reason why the SEC went after Kraken and not Coinbase because Kraken did some extra finesse around their staking product to make it a little bit more valuable, but it changed the nature of the product. Uh, and so that's that's why that, that opened up a weakness for for the SEC, for Kraken to be attacked by the SEC. Uh, things like R- Rocket Pool and Lido are the exact opposite of that. They are trying to be the truest, most high fidelity connection between depositors and actual staking uh, of Ethereum. Uh, and so th- that's why these protocols are running probably because like Kraken is going to shut down their product and all of that stake is going to go elsewhere. But also, like you said, Rand, we have the Shanghai withdrawals coming. And so a lot of like Rand and I are calling this like the snow globe effect in uh, in in the staking world where. Now people can withdraw their locked deposits out of whatever staking as a service provider they have, and that can get reshuffled. So right now people are playing this game as like, all right, like Lido's got a lot of stake. Are they going to be able to hold on to that stake? Is that stake going to migrate to Rocket Pool? What about like the 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 long tail of staking providers? Are they going to get any new stake? What's, go- what's going on? Uh, and so like that's kind of the meta game that's being played right so, now.
0: Ten thousand dollars to invest in one staking protocol today. You have to you have to put the money into a staking protocol, where do you put the money in? And if you're looking for price appreciation.
2: Well, Ryan and I are oh. biased, cause we, we. I wanna hear from Joey on this one.
1: Um, Ask yeah, a good question. I mean, I I think like, my view would probably be Lido. I think it just has really strong product market fit. yeah um,
0: What and- about the fact that it's got, what about the fact that it's already got a 70% staking share and that, you know, when you've got 70%, it, kind of down only from there i mean you're not going to go to 90 percent, are you
1: no i don't think so i don't i'd be surprised that the market share went up substantially from here um but it's more that i think uh the amount of staked eth is going to go way up uh post shanghai and i think staking derivatives like just become a lot more compelling once you can actually once eth is actually unlocked right because like, the un- unbonding period um you know, to date, like nobody has known when you can unbond. And post Shanghai, you'll be able to actually unbond your ETH once you stake it. And so the the market for like staking derivatives will get a lot more efficient. Um, Like to date, it's basically been based on, you know, people providing a ton of liquidity. Uh, But if there were a run on the bank, like you'd have to really wait until Shanghai happens to get your ETH unlocked. I just think these products become a lot more compelling. Um, Like if you're like an institutional investor, you're probably not going to put a ton of money into staking, staking derivatives right now because there's that risk that, that there could be on the bank and then you have to mark, you know, your funds down a lot at the end of the month. If, if you know, like staking these trades at a big discount and posting high, that won't happen. So my view is that there's going to be a huge influx into the staking derivatives. Um, so even if their market share stays constant, uh, the amount of the larger, the overall market is going to grow a huge amount.
0: So would you be allocating capital at this stage to the staking narrative?
1: I mean, I think I think like my, my view right now is it's it's, it's sort of like overbought. Um, I, I think you might be able to like, like like in terms of in terms of you mean like the actual tokens behind these staking derivatives, like yeah, rocket, light, oil, fract, Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's kind of overbought recently. I'd probably wait for a buying opportunity over coming weeks. Um, that's just my personal,
0: personal view. Ryan, what do you think? Would you be putting, well, let me ask you two questions. One is if I gave you $10,000 and I said, you have to invest it into one of the staking protocols, you're saying you're going to go into Lido.
3: Not me. No, I wouldn't do that. Um, I think Lido is cool. I think RPL are cool. Um, I do agree with Joey that some of these narratives are kind of overbought. I, I'd look for s- some of the smaller market cap ones that have incredible teams building some, uh, momentum. Um, I haven't looked at like stake wise recently, but like that's, um, you know, uh, 150 million, 160 million, a fully like, diluted valuation.
2: Lido's V2 announcement looks a lot like what StakeWise has been doing for a long time. Uh, um,
3: Frax, I would like, so I would go down market and I'd really be evaluating kind of like the teams and growth trajectories and try to, with the 10, thousand that you're going to pay me and i appreciate that uh Rand, that you offered to give me ten thousand to invest in these things that's fantastic <laughs> news. i would i would go and i would probably play down market with some of the smaller market cap things there's also a bunch of um uh staking uh networks that have lo- not launched tokens yet and are kind of pre-launch so like i don't know there's like 20 or 30 kind lot, of en- yeah, entries of startups. and so there's a lot of opportunity if you can kind of go down market and look at these teams and evaluate what they're building and see if they have early traction
0: so I heard from someone who's quite reliable. He told me that there's a court order in the U.S. to force Lido to hand over some information around staking to the SEC. Now I don't know whether that's true or not, but is there any way that they could subpoena court records from Lido? As far as I understand, Lido is a decentralized. Yeah. So, so I want to I want to understand this. I want to understand the nuances here. Lido is a decentralized staking protocol, which is decentralized. If the SEC were going to serve a court order on Lido, where and who would they serve it on?
2: That's a really good question. Lido has, I believe, 29 different operators. So 29 different depositors all over the world. And then there's also the Lido governors, uh, which are some of the early investors. Uh, Paradigm, I believe, is a, is a big stakeholder of Lido. Uh, they don't, but Lido does not have an office. There is, there is no address for, for Lido. I don't know where you mail that subpoena or wherever. But you just tweet it out. They're doing that now. That <laughs> <laughs> well, only works for, uh, for Kyle Davies.
3: <laughs> I mean, like, so here's the thing that we all have to realize about Gary Gensler, I think, is this man has no line. Like he, 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 if he could, if Gary Gensler could go say that S ETH as staked ETH, the Lido token tokenized staking product was a security, he would, if he could do that with RPL, he would, I'm now convinced of this, given his, given his actions. I don't know if he can, I don't know if that's defensible, but like, we have to think through the implications. If, if something like that happens, um, does that remove liquidity uh, from the market? Like, what what does this do? Uh, I, you know, th- this is the thing is some of the, when the the Kraken the, the um, staking news broke, some people were like, well, isn't that great for decentralized staking? I'm like, yeah, but also it's not. Like, let's remember, Gary Gensler is not crypto's friend. He isn't really, like, if you looked at his influencer video, he wasn't like, Kraken staking is bad, but there's great decentralized alternatives. He, he didn't tell us about any of that. He was very focused on, um, I don't know staking being like investor protections and control around staking, and I think he'll continue that. So I don't necessarily think this is good for decentralized staking providers because I have no assurances that Gary won't come after them next.
0: What about the AI narrative? Is it a real narrative in crypto? I mean, you've had these AI tokens absolutely explode. I mean, I, I looked the other day at uh, Singularity Net, which is, I guess, one of the the the, the OGs in in uh, in 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 crypto, so let's just look at it this year. So I think let's just quickly go to January and we'll take the, the gains this year. It's done eight hundred percent, eight
2: hundred and thirty
0: percent. I Okay, that's just one. There are a couple of others. There's a fetch, fetch. I think it's fetch, but AI. I think it's also done about. Here we go. So let's just take it. We'll take it from January just to to be fair on all. Four hundred percent. Is this a real narrative or is this just is this the next thing that's gonna go up and all the way back down?
2: I mean, yeah, it's it's a real narrative and that that it's a narrative trade, it's a momentum trade. Each one of these tokens has various levels of relationship with actual AI. Like there's tokens like Numeri, which is um, uses AI to like have economic models, but it's the economic model that's the value capture. So, like, to what degree does the actual like AI create? Upwards exposure in one of these tokens is always dubious. Some have it more than others, but this is very much like, oh, chat GPT, buy AI tokens. That's all this
0: is. Would you short, would you short crypto AI at the moment? Would you oh I now- would never
2: short any crypto asset ever? I will not never. That is a dumb <laughs>
3: Brian, thing. To what do. you, Brian, what you- <laughs> I mean, shorting any asset in crypto is just like, I mean, do you hate yourself? Like how how fast you want to blow through your money? Don't yeah, ever short... right. like. But there David are, there, said... like
2: you said, there are re- redacted de- degens that I will never... trading again. Look, <laughs> you don't I wouldn't do that. I, I was
3: afraid to short Luna. I would. I wasn't even shorting Luna. People got liquidated shorting
2: Luna while it was crashing. Yeah. Don't short in crypto. <laughs> to anyone
3: listening, if you like value your money. Uh, Don't short anything in crypto.
0: But you wouldn't put money into it. You wouldn't now deploy money into the crypto. No, it's just
3: because there's different time horizons, right? So I'm not a narrative trader, right? So you can be a narrative trader, which means that you asked if this is a narrative. Yeah, it's a narrative. And it would have been nice to be in on that narrative, you know, months ago, a few months ago. But it's a narrative trade. There's not actual fundamentals or utility backing this. That's what everyone got so excited about in like, you know, 2021 and 2022 is a whole bunch of narrative trades. And that's why we're in the spot that we're in. So I don't personally play the narrative trade game very often. Or if I do, it's with a tiny portion of my portfolio. And it's not, you know, it's just narrative hunting.
0: Joey, what do you think? Would you put money into the crypto AI narrative? Have you seen any crypto AI companies that you think are worth investing in?
1: Yeah, not really. I mean, I mean, the only thing somebody already mentioned it, you know, is, is like Numerai, and Numerare, uh, which is interesting, but they've been around for years, right? Like, um, you know, they've been around since 2017. And so it's not numerae, really part of but, the current AI wave.
0: So Numerai, just for people who don't know how it works, and correct me if I'm wrong, you submit AI investment models, Numeri, then if it likes your AI investment models, allocates a certain percentage of their funds or their treasury to your strategy. Um, so it's almost like a fund that is powered by AI um, models and anybody can submit a model let's say anybody, I, th- I think there are certain hurdles that you have to get through. But if the- if you can backtest it and show that it works, then they allocate money to the model, right?
2: Right, exactly. Yeah. But it's not the AI again, like it's, it's a second order effect of the thing. It's not the main thing.
0: mm Okay. The other narrative which has exploded this year is the perpetual, decentralized perpetuals dexes. So you've had DYDX uh, explode. You had Gains Network. I don't know if you guys saw Gains Network today, but there were there was a Binance listing which was announced. And that, I'll just show you what the chart looks like. Um, I mean, the, the, it went up to 30 bucks. I mean, it's back down. Damn, that is a
2: needle. Holy hell.
0: Uh, yeah, that, that happened this morning when we, when we saw the Binance listing. Look, it's done amazing since the beginning of the year. This has gone up. This has gone up. I mean, three X this year. So I mean, there's there's a clear narrative around these perpetuals dexes, and, and it feels like you know if you just mention the word perpetuals dex and you mention the word Cosmos or Arbitrum, then you can basically print money. But on the <laughs> other hand, I mean, on the other hand, the one thing that I did notice about th- these things is that is that they are real businesses. I want to just show you something. Like everyone, everyone looks at this chart over here, um, which is the crypto fees chart. But you, what you can see here is that you can see that like, protocols like. GMX are now averaging about a million dollars a day, $1.2 million a day in fees. I mean, that's this that's right here list is list
3: fundamentals, though, Rand. Like this right here, that
2: what you're looking at, this is fundamentals. And so, I think we see some of that in crypto um, derivatives. I don't know if too many know too many people know this gmx has been printing insane fees gmx is one of the few tokens that was actually green in 2022 could you imagine that like um, on the price right on the on the, on the price. price on the us dollar price so, yeah. yeah um right. what's his name andrew kang i think has some insane percentage of tvl in gmx and he opened up either a 10x or like a 50x eth long, long yeah. at the bottom Put, I think a million dollars into a 10 X long and is up like $9 million <laughs> since, <laughs> in like four months long. or something.
0: He went long. He cut the long and he went short. And then he cut the short and he went long. At this the right time? Uh, Well, the short wasn't at the right time, but he was quick enough to, sure. to get it out. But I mean, look, for me, this is a narrative because this is a narrative which actually generates fees. If you look at the biggest companies in crypto right now, it's the leveraged exchanges. I mean, mm-hmm. who yeah. makes the money? ftx made the money but binance makes money binance is not making money on spot binance is making money on on their, their right, perpetual their, true, their, their yeah. leverage. um uh, bybit is making money Bitget is making money these guys are all making money on 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 derivative trading and now the decentralized derivatives players do seem to me like a healthy narrative what do you think i'd be interested in
3: joey's take on this he's very deep in DeFi stuff
0: yeah,
1: the the decentralized curve stuff is is a narrative I've been interested in uh, for for a while. Um, I, I never really thought it made sense that that you had to have um, you know businesses like FTX, right? Like like that should be decentralized. Um, and if you look at stuff like Uniswap, it's it's pretty easy to trade spot on Uniswap. Um, there's no reason why there shouldn't be great decentralized perp exchanges. And I think GMX is a is like kind of right place, right time, like they built on top of Arbitrum, which, which enabled you know enough scalability gains where it finally became feasible to use it as like an average retail user. Um, it's still difficult to use, which is why the market cap isn't like, you know, 7 billion as opposed to 700 million. Um, but it's certainly something I'm excited about and, and
0: you, bullish on that are sector. You, are you excited about Oracle's based um, uh, Perpetual's protocols? As much as you're excited around D, like DYDX types uh, perpetuals protocols, like buyer versus seller versus oracle versus oracle-based um, uh, DEXs. Which one excites you more?
1: I mean, I think I think buyer versus seller ones are are kind of more exciting long term. And I think like if if what what I believe is, I think the decentralized perp market will eventually one day exceed the size of the centralized perp market. And at that point, like you want to have your your own market set the price. Like you don't you don't want to be like referencing some external market that's a smaller market because bad things can happen in finance when you do that. Um, and so I think long-term it'll trend towards buyer seller, but yeah, the market has okay. ways to
0: grow. $10,000 now to put on any perpetual decks that you like on the market, you got to bet your money onto one. You put it into DYDX, you put it into GMX, you put it into GNS, you put it into someone, some, one, of the, one that we haven't mentioned it, but you got to allocate your money to one. Where do you allocate your money?
1: I would put it in GMX. I, I think it's like great risk reward in um, yeah, the market cap, much smaller than DYDX. And the economic model is like more straightforward from a token holder standpoint than DYDX. Like there's still a lot of um, lack of clarity, I'd say around DYDX's model. So I would go with GMX.
0: David, what do you think? $10,000 into, into the perpetual DEX narrative? Where do you go? Where do you put your money?
1: Yeah. uh,
2: GMX, without looking too deeply into it, GMX sounds right. Not into DYDX because they want to do their whole like app chain thing and they want to uh, pay for their own security, which means they have to issue the DYDX token to start to pay for security. GMX doesn't have to do that. So like just by, (laughs) by analyzing that.
0: I think you're just salty because you're an ETH Maxi and because DYDX. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: No, that, is that I'm bad so analysis? Like they have to issue DYDX to pay for security and GMX doesn't. Like that's just raw economics.
0: All right. Ron, what do you think?
3: Uh, I think Joey's really smart. So I would say 10K to GMX. I also think David's very smart too, by the way.
0: <laughs> you haven't said anything about me. I, I, I don't know how to check Man, you. you know, we're <laughs> just
3: getting to know, know each other. You seem yeah. pretty smart too, though
0: yeah all right listen guys i don't want to keep you i know you guys have got things to do and places to be but i do want to thank you because it's been a really fun show so first of all to the two of you guys from bankless welcome to the banter fam um loved having you guys on and to the banter fam please show them some love there is a link below to their channel you see this number over here which is 193,000 subscribers we have to get that to 200 000 subscribers by the end <laughs> of. The day. what i want you guys to do i'm gonna i'm gonna wait i'm gonna wait. wait because i can see there's 4,400 of you here now And we need to watch this number go up. So go there now. It's um, YouTube at Bankless and just subscribe. And we need to see the number go up live on the show. So go. I'm waiting. Go, 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 go now and subscribe to their channel. Trust me, it is one of the best channels in crypto. Go, go, go. Guys here in the office, go and subscribe too. Everyone must subscribe. Fam, I'm counting you to go and subscribe. I want to see this number go up to 194,000 while we are live. It has to go up to 194,000 come on guys you're not you're not helping go 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 <laughs> all right David will
3: keep dancing until yeah, we'll i'll keep
0: I... dancing yeah <laughs> you know you know it's a great channel i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't just say that i wouldn't just get you guys it really is the the level of content there is very little content that is that of that good quality um which mixes tech and and um uh, actual news fundamentals, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. So it's really a good place to be. Uh, guys, on a serious note, go and subscribe. Show them some love. They have been amazing with us. Joey, thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you guys all again soon. To the banter fam, you guys, we've got a couple of things to talk about. Guys, thank you so much. Um, to the fam. All right, so how many likes have we got, Josh? Josh, Josh, how many likes are there? 1,400. Did you guys not enjoy the show? I don't understand. Did, did you not enjoy the show? I think it was amazing. I think it was a great show. It's full of alpha. Um, let's quickly really look at the... I think we might actually even go live this weekend if the, if the if the prices continue like this. I see that my... Let's get the elephant out of the room. The blur trade. I was up 30 grand. I was up 30 grand on that trade. I think I might... Let me actually see how much I'm up here. I, I I've got to see how much I'm up here. I, I really have to see it. So let me go there quickly and log in. I should have listened to you guys. There were some of you here in the chat yesterday that, that told me to sell and I didn't sell. So let me quickly just go to the derivatives protocol and let me just see what my position is. I mean, you, you'll never believe it. You'll never believe it. I was up $30,000. I got $4,305. $4, That's for ants. That is for ants. Oh man, all right, so listen, I had a great time with you guys here. Um, I did wa- I did wanna give away a Rolex. We might still give away a Rolex, so this is how it works. Go to the comments of this YouTube, not the live chat. In the comments of the YouTube, put in your Bybit or your BitGet account number, user ID number. On Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever we get the 2,000 likes while we're live on the show, I'm gonna go at random, I'm gonna go select a, uh, a winner. And when I do, that winner is gonna get the Rolex. We have to give away both Rolexes by the end of Feb time is running out my friends time is running out. Speaking of time is running out I need to go. it's dinner time for me. I'll see you guys again soon. maybe on the weekend until then. Very well my friends.